Welcome to an inspirational message from Creekwood Church. We hope that you have an encounter with God and discover practical ways to help you live a life of purpose. Wow, isn't it good to be part of a church that partners with organizations like Mercy House? To know that the, the offerings that you give are going to organizations such as that to empower people around the world that would otherwise just have nothing. I mean, that's really the essence of the gospel, and I think you should be excited to know that. I know for Kim and I and my kids, we can't look at anything related to Mercy House without start crying. We get Pastor Brad effect, or whatever you want to call it, right? The tears start coming. But um, we'll talk a little bit more about Mercy House in a little bit. Um, but what I want to talk to you about today is I want to give you four reasons why I strive to be generous. Um, as Pastor Brad mentioned, Kim and um, our three kids, we've been part of uh, the, the Creekwood Church since 2004. Well, I guess except for Jonah, because he was born in 06, right? Is that right? Did I get that right? Okay. So, so the reason I bring that up is because it's been really, really inspiring to see how Creekwood has continued to mature in our collective faith. I mean, to see where the church went from just the junior high to the high school, but even in those days, giving to those in need. It's always been the heartbeat of the staff here, and it's one of the things I think that really connected Kim and I to the church. So I hope you can feel that. But let me kick this off today about why I strive to be generous with a quote from Anne Frank. Anne Frank has a quote that says, no one has ever become poor by giving. Think about that for a second. Has anybody ever come up to you and said, I am in such financial dire straits because I have been too generous? Has that ever happened? No one's ever come and told me that. After all, there's only a few things you can do with money, right? After you have the money, you can spend it. You can save it, you can invest it, and you can give it. I don't think anybody needs any lessons on spending money. As a matter of fact, we probably need lessons on how not to spend money or how to spend less. And when you think about saving and investing, it's easier to think about saving than the concepts of investing. Unless you're like Jonah. Jonah asked me the other day, he said, Jonah's 11. He said, isn't saving and investing the same thing? And I thought, okay, I guess my son's financially illiterate. I'm just kidding. We're going to work on that. He's 11. And you're probably not laughing because you don't know the difference between saving and investing either. So maybe we should be talking about this later, right? But when you talk about giving, giving, now that's a tough one because it's easy to understand, but it's hard to do, right? So we're going to jump into this about why, why we need to be generous, right? Why I strive to be generous. Well, there's three things I want you to think about as we go through these points about being generous. I want you to test the Test what we say, right? The first thing I want you to think about before we get into the sermon, and as we go through that is, number one is, I don't need a lot of money to give. Or said differently, I don't need a lot of money to be generous. Or even said differently, there is no minimum to being generous. The second thing is, I won't let my standard of living determine my standard of giving. Rather, I will let my standard of giving determine my standard of living. Okay? The third one is giving is fun. Giving is fun. All right, so four reasons why I strive to be generous, and think about those three things as we go through this. The first reason on why I strive to be generous is, and I love the way Rick Warren says this, is generosity is love in action. 
Generosity is love in action. So I strive to be generous because there's two things in this world that I love the most. And I love God and I love people. And I think that that we need to strive to be generous. And I strive to be generous because you cannot get or you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Love gives, love does not take. And simply put, I love God and I love people. Therefore, I want to be generous to both. I can tell Kim all day long that I love her, but if I don't give her something, whether it's a tangible something, my time, my attention, she'll start to wonder, do I really love her? It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work as love being a taking action, right? So I love God and I want my generosity to begin with honoring him. I want how I spend my time, my money, my talents, my attention. I want all those to reflect in the relationships, the most important relationships in my life. Simply put, I want to honor God by acknowledging that everything comes from him. Let that sink in. I want to honor God by acknowledging that everything comes from him. And in our world, in our culture, that's a very difficult thing to put into practice. But as Christians, we ought to be countercultural and know that it is essential to have that mindset that all we have comes from God. 2 Corinthians 9.13 says, You will be glorifying God through your generous gifts. For your generosity to them will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. You will be glorifying God through your generous gifts. So we can sit here and sing songs all we want. But one of the best ways to glorify God is through generous gifts. The second thing I'll say about this part is um, the best way to honor God is through obedient giving. Proverbs 14.31 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous or he, he who is generous to the needy honors him. So let me just say this. You may not consider yourself someone that oppresses poor people, but if you're not taking action to help them out, you might as well be an oppressor. But when you give to the needy, it says it honors God. So you glorify God. So when you think about that, we honor God because he owns everything and he's the source of everything. So let me help bring this home to you because you know what? I don't know about you, but I thank God for my kids. All right. So for some, it might depend on the day, right? But I thank God for my kids because my kids help me understand what it means to know like that God owns everything. He's the source of everything. So one of the things that we do in our house is about once a week, we have nachos. So you can have nachos in our house just about any day of the week, right? Nachos galore. They're everywhere, right? And there's nothing special about nachos, whatever, right? Unless they're made by Jonah, our 11-year-old. So we go in there for nacho day and we get the chips out on the table or on the, uh, the island. And we, you know, most of us just go spread them on our plate and we just kind of get this stuff piled on there, throw it in the microwave, heat it up, and we're off and running. We could be halfway through our nachos and we look over there. We're like, Jonah, have you not even started eating your nachos yet? And he's still preparing his nachos. And why is that? Because Jonah is an artist when it comes to making nachos. He is a true Michelangelo. 
in making the nachos. He'll get his plate out there. He'll spread his chips, make sure that they're not piled on top of each other. So he can spread the cheese. Did I get this right? The cheese first. Then he gets our, our meat. And, and I'll be honest with you, we have a little special ingredient for our nachos. It's not in the sermon notes. So you're not getting it today. But he gets a special secret ingredients here, and he spreads them on there over that cheese. He gets another round of cheese, sprinkles it on there, and oh, yeah, then he throws, throws in the microwave. You know, if we're really doing good, we'll put it in the oven. But he gets out of the microwave, puts it down, and then he surveys the plate, looks at the guacamole, gets the perfect amount of guacamole, because there is a perfect amount of guacamole. And he puts it on his nachos, gets a sour cream, puts sour cream on there. Now, Jonah is ready to eat his nachos. So you look at that, you're like, wow, those look pretty, pretty good. So I walk over there and I'm like, I'm going to take me a nacho. What do you think Jonah does? Oh, no, no, no. You can't have these. These are my nachos. Well, there's three things that come to my mind right away. And I'm like, they're, they're healthy things. They're not bad things, right? But I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second, seriously? I said, Jonah, do you know that you wouldn't have any nachos if it wasn't for me? I am the giver of nachos here. I bought the chips. I bought the cheese. We pay for the house. We're making them everything. You wouldn't have nachos if it wasn't for me, so quit being so stingy. The second thing I'm thinking about, wow, aren't we ungrateful? Because I can buy you as many nachos as you want. We can make dozens of plates of nachos if Kim would let us. And the third thing I'm thinking is, you know what? I don't even need your stinking nachos. I can make my own nachos. I can go buy my own nachos. And I could probably outdo you on nachos because I, at least in my house, am the source of all nachos. (laughs) So do I really want Jonah's nachos? No. What I want is Jonah to learn how to share. And I want Jonah to learn that it's a powerful connection when you share things that you love, right? And that's the same way God looks at us when we look at all our stuff, right? He's looking at us and he's saying, why are you so stingy with your money? Why are you so stingy with your things? When you know that I can give you infinitely more than you already have, and you wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for me. And by the way, I'm not telling you to give to the church because I need your money, because I've got everything that you could possibly imagine. But I'm asking you to give to the church and to the poor because I want you to learn what it means to be generous and unselfish and not stingy because there is a freeing act when it comes to that. How many understand, like, the best sandwich you can ever have? I don't know if you, but the best sandwich and the best salad for some reason you can ever have is always made by someone else. I don't know what it is, but, but you, I can make a sandwich. It can probably be good. But when if someone else makes that sandwich, it, I don't know, it's just so good. And I got to believe that's the generosity flavor that's in that sandwich or salad. But I think that's what God intended here. But when God says it's all his, Deuteronomy 14.23 says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. So the first and foremost thing with generosity, why I strive to be generous is I want to put God first. I love God, and therefore I want to be close to him. Matthew 6, 21 says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. It's a no-brainer, guys. If you want to be close to someone, you invest time, money, talent, and attention. So if you want to be close to God, you do those things. I strive to be generous because I love people, and I'm continuing to learn how to love 
all people. Throughout the Bible, we're taught to love everyone. We should hate sin but love people, right? Hate sin and love people. We don't have time to go through all the scriptures on this topic. However, let me lay this out for you this way. The Bible teaches us to love and serve our spouse, to love and teach our children, to love and respect our boss, to love and pray for our enemies and those that persecute us. That just about covers it, doesn't it? God is the maker of all races of people. He's, he created both men and women. And he's very clear that our love should have no end, no limits. And therefore, neither should our generosity. Generosity breaks down walls and opens perspectives. And generosity is love and action to all people. That's why it's so refreshing to see something like Mercy House, where they're actually empowering people that feel so oppressed in so many other places, even in our own country. But when you look and say, I'm going to stop arguing about how you look, I'm going to stop arguing about how you're made, and I'm just going to open up my heart and generously give to you to better your life. That's when you start breaking down walls, and God is saying that you should do that for all people. So the second reason why I strive to be generous is generosity is a practical practice of my faith. So the first one is generosity is love and action. Love God, love people. The second one here is, now then, I want to demonstrate my faith. How do I demonstrate my faith? I demonstrate my faith through generosity. Philemon 1.6 says, And I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all good things we have in Christ. Generosity that comes from your faith. Generosity demonstrates my faith. As a Christian, I want to be more like Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate giver. That should go without saying, right? Paul encourages us in Ephesians to be imitators of God. Scriptures up there, Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us or as Christ was so generous to us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Well, I want to be like Jesus. That's what being a Christ follower is all about. I want to be like Jesus, and giving helps me become more like him. There's this virtuous cycle that happens. The more I give, the more godly I become. And the more godly I become, the more I give. That's what being like Christ is about. And isn't becoming like Christ the point of being a Christian? Proverbs 21, 26 reads, The greedy always want more, but the godly love to give. The greedy always want more, but the godly love to give. Does that describe you, if you're honest, if you're talking to yourself in the mirror? The Living Bible says it this way. It's not on the screen because I want you to really think about these words. In Luke 11, 41, the, the Living Bible states, Purity is best demonstrated by generosity. Purity is best demonstrated by generosity. So you want to be holy, you want to be pure, you want people looking and say, hey, I'm full of goodness. We don't have to say anything if you're demonstrating it by generosity. You want to protect yourself in this culture from selfishness, envy, greed, materialism. You think you have a hard time this Christmas saying no to gifts? You think you're looking at things and say, I can't believe I want all these things I didn't even know existed? Then learn to give. 
You can protect yourself from materialism. The second thing as far as giving being a practical demonstration of my faith is my giving proves God. And this one might be a little bit hard for you to swallow because it does require, you know, some action. But Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more. Think about that scripture. I know you can read that and say, okay, okay, okay. God's saying tithe. If you back it up, saying, will you rob from God by not bringing the tithe to the church, the storehouse being the church, your place of worship? Yeah, that's important. Think about that. But what I want you to understand here is what God is saying is that money and giving is so important to me, to God, that he's saying, I will prove my existence through my response to your obedience and giving. Do you realize there's nowhere else in the Bible where God says, if you do this, it proves that I exist? That's what God's saying. He's saying, this is so important to me that you can prove I exist in your life by giving and obeying in this. When you think about that, think about what does that really mean? Wow, the storehouses and not going to need any more. True, it means you won't need any more, but it also means that God begins to change your heart into what it means to have enough. I can tell you that I've never experienced God's blessing in the form of like an unexpected windfall of money. So if you're thinking like, oh, what this means, if I start tithing, it's sort of like the slot machine. At any point in time, I'm going to get a bunch of money back. I don't know if that ever happens. Does it? Don't answer that. Okay. But my point being is I've never experienced God's blessing, a big windfall of money, or somebody coming to me and saying, hey, you know what? Uh, I just called the mortgage company, and I just paid off your house. And no one's ever come to me and said, you know what? God talked to me, and I just bought you a brand-new spanking new car. That's never happened to me. My path and my faith with God has been, Kim and I have been unashamedly faithful in tithing and giving since we've been married. And it's only been like, what, five weeks? feels like five weeks. It's been 21 years. Did I get that right? Yeah, 21 years. But we've been faithful in in, in giving, even when we didn't have much, because we haven't always had much. But even when we didn't have much, we always were, it was painful. We'd give. We'd give. And I can tell you that we've never had that big windfall, but in my career, God's always been there. Can I tell you that the, the scripture says you can, that you can, and a man may chart his course, but God directs his steps. I've never been one to sit there and say, I want to be in a certain position by a certain time. I want to have this by a certain time. But God has always prompted me to say, be, be, be patient, be selfless, be generous, right? And, 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 and trust me, have faith in me, right? And can I tell you that every time I've experienced a failure at work, God has shown up and bridged me to the next place. Every time I've had a success, God has shown up and opened up a door as to what the next step would be. Can I tell you, every time I've sought a new position, I've never got it. Every time I've gone to interview for a new, I've never gotten it. The only time I've gotten new positions is when they came unexpectedly and somebody says, hey, I think you ought to go look at this. And that is how God has blessed me throughout my life. And I feel very strongly about this because some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, you don't understand. I got a jerk of a boss. I got a dead-end job. I haven't got a raise in so long, and I deserve a promotion. And you just don't understand my, my workplace. Well, let me turn that around and say, you may not have a boss problem or a job problem. 
You may have a generosity problem. And what I would tell you to do today, if that is you, is take God at his word and go test him. Test him. Test him in this. That's what he's telling you to do. All right. Um, The third reason why I am generous is because I want to lead my family to be generous. I want to see my kids be generous. I want to one day, not too soon, see my grandkids be generous. (laughs) And I want my great-grandkids to be generous. And I want to be known in heaven as a patriarch of generations of generous pedrosas. I just think that'd be so cool. And not only that, but I'm compelled to do that if I follow Christ. As a head of my household, it's my duty to set the tone for my family. And fathers, it's your responsibility as well. When I consider the instructions in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, I see that I must love my wife as Christ loves the church, and I must raise my children and the discipline and instruction of God. And this cannot be done without a massive dose of intentional generosity because that's who God is. He's a generous God. And generosity is love in action. So the question that I've got to face all the time is am I creating that environment in my home? So before I go too far in this, I just think there's somebody needs to understand this, that, that yes, I want you involved in life groups, but it may not be another life group you need. I want you to read your Bible, but it may not be another scripture you need. I want you to listen to sermons, but it may not be another sermon you need. But if you're having stress in your home, if you feel your wife isn't respecting you and there's a distance between you and your wife, you feel like your kids are not respecting you and you can't get control of your kids and you feel like you go home and there's nothing but stress in your house and you can't figure out what it really means to be a godly father. Today, I want you to walk away and ask yourself, do I have a vision for generosity for my family? Am I creating that environment of love in action in my home? It's amazing what generosity can do to heal a house. It's amazing what generosity can do to bring a couple back together. You know, we'll throw more out there. If you are struggling with this aspect, there's only three things you need to look at. You need to build your life on integrity, humility, and generosity. And if you are struggling with leading your family today, you need to check yourself in those three areas and ask God and ask a trusted Christian friend to help you firm your foundation in integrity, humility, and generosity. Today, I'm talking about generosity, but you may need the other two. So stop searching and start building, guys. All right, so what does all this mean? So um, a couple of years ago, Kim and I really took this seriously, and we decided to focus on the concepts of compassion and generosity, but we wanted to do that as a family. It hit me that as a family unit, what we had to start doing is becoming more aware that our lives needed to be lived for a greater purpose than just ourselves. So it's one thing for you to do that as an individual, say, as a dad, I need to create this great career plan and give to this, give to that, show my kids, oh, look what I did, do what I did, and it's great. But it's more powerful if you're like, hey, guys, um, I'm trying to grow to be like Christ, and I'm going to do this by partnering with this uh, with, with, church, with the Creekwood and doing these, these activities and these service projects, or I'm going to do a partner with an organization, and I want you to come with me. It's powerful to do it as a family. And we discovered this, and that's what led us to Mercy House Global. 
So I mentioned we'll talk about this later. We're going to talk about this now. As you saw in the video, Mercy House Global helps to rescue pregnant teenage girls from the slums and other dire circumstances. Now, it's easy to say pregnant teenage girls, but let's just be real. They are not pregnant for any romantic reasons. They are pregnant because they don't, they're pregnant they don't want to be, right? They're in these horrible situations. But Mercy House has two maternity homes that just opened a third transitional home to help girls transition back into their communities. And they're actually doing it tangibly. Well, my family and I, we got involved in, in, in 2015, and we thought, God, can we live beyond ourselves? And through courses of events, I'm trying to get into it, we just connect with Mercy House. They have a warehouse down near Houston, Texas. And, you know, my wife got involved and we got involved. We went down and helped them, you know, put packages together to send for their Fair Trade Friday subscriptions and so forth. And it was interesting. Kim first got involved with it and got a Fair Trade Friday subscription. And Catherine started getting involved. It was interesting how quickly my boys took to it and started learning it. And I was actually probably the last one to actually, like, dig into this thing. But by that time, we started getting this ball of steam going. And, and before I knew it, we were entrenched in, in, in working with Mercy House. So over time, we just kept praying, God, how can we give more? And I got a call from the people you saw in the video, Terrell Welch and Kristen. And they were taking a vision trip to Kenya in 2016. They asked if we wanted to go. And so we, long story short, we said yes, and we went. But can I tell you that... To go on a trip like this, and we're talking about generosity, I want you to know that, that right now I consider and say how great it was. At the time, let me tell you how apprehensive I was. Because the financial commitment was huge. It was probably three or four times a normal family vacation that we would ever spend. But we sat down and talked about it as a family. Are we willing to sacrifice for that? It was the first time for my kids to go out of the country. And while that could sound really cool, we were headed to the poorest part of a developing country where you can see just sewage just flows freely down the dirt streets and there's disease and things everywhere. So there's a lot of apprehension going there. But I can't tell you once we got there, once we got there, our apprehensions were fully overcome by the experience. We got there and we saw people that were in horrible conditions, things that we would consider just dirt poor, they were laughing. They were running. They were playing. You had kids that would make, they'd get trash and wadded up and get string and tie it up and voila, what do you have? You have a soccer ball. Think about that next time your kid says they need to go up a size because they got older, right? But they would play with things like that, running around, just having a good time. You saw men and women that were going to work or they were taking care of their home and they had such pride. They were dressed in suits. You had women that were cleaning clothes and hanging them on a clothesline, and they lived on a dirt floor. Yeah, it makes no sense. Why would you do that? Because as soon as they put it on, it's dirty, but they would take great pride. The smells of the sewage, if you walked by certain places, was overcome with the smell of the clean clothes, and it was fascinating to see that. And the reason I bring that up is because we thought we were there because there was something for us to give. But what we found is we were there because God had something back for us to receive through our gift, right? And what we have found throughout our time here, and there's so much that we could go into and learn, but we learned that, we learned that the value of the trip for us, the value of this trip far outweighed the cost and the worry. Each of our three children, they talk and they write about this experience to this day. And the thing I must say, they do that 
unprompted. What I'm telling you is we reached outside our comfort zone, went to a place that really had no business being, but all we didn't even know what we were going to do there other than take pictures. And we suddenly realized that God was speaking to our hearts about what generosity really is. We learned that being generous as a family is much more powerful than being generous alone. Being generous as a family is much more powerful than being generous alone. For example, again, unprompted, Catherine published in one of her newspaper stories. I learned something from these people in the slum. A smile could change someone's day. You could turn someone's bad day into a good one or give someone the motivation to finish the day. Landry wrote in an English essay, because of this trip, I'm reminded how blessed and fortunate we are. I was shown the importance of relationships and of having hope. I was shown the importance of relationships. I'm challenged to have a good attitude and a positive outlook on things like the people in the slums did. This was a trip of a lifetime. And can I tell you, before I get to the last part here, that, that what, what we learned is that you walk around and see these people in horrible situations, but they're not begging. Nobody was begging for money. Nobody was saying, can you give me this? Can you give me that? They weren't looking for a handout. They're looking for empowerment. They wanted to actually change their lives. And I started thinking, wow, and here we have everything, but how much more do we say, can I just have $100 more? What if I just made 2% more in my money? Wow, what if I really cheat my taxes and save $1,000? And I say, look, these people have nothing. They're just like, no, no, we're not asking for money. We're asking, how do you do this? How do you do this skill? And I just thought that really was impactful. When I look at what Jonah wrote, I think Jonah summed it up pretty well about what it means to have a life change. He said, this trip absolutely changed my life and how I look at things. It made me realize how blessed we are and opened my eyes to a country and organization that are both great. Often this trip or mercy house somehow leaks into my everyday conversation in some form or fashion. You're out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I couldn't think of a better life change. We learned that generosity is not a single act of giving, or a one-time trip, but a lifestyle change that considers the benefit of others in everything that you do and to somehow let it leak into your everyday conversations and your way of thinking. Now, for us, we realize that this was a trip of a lifetime. And while this is our story, your story is going to be different. You have a story, whether you like it or not. You just have to choose how you're going to write it and impact it. The important thing is to be deliberate by exposing your families to opportunities to being generous. Being generous as a family is a very, very powerful thing. It's better than handing a business down to your son or daughter because this will last forever. The fourth reason why I strive to be generous is because generosity will be rewarded in heaven. You know, You've heard it said that once you die, you can't take things with you. Has anybody not heard that? Because that's pretty well known. Once you're dead, you're dead. I mean, even the great King George, talking about George Strait, he even sings about this. He's got lyrics that say, you don't bring nothing with you here, and you can't take nothing back. I ain't never seen a hearse 
with a luggage rack. You can't argue with the logic from King George, but what King George doesn't fully say here is what God tells us is you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And that's what managing your money is all about. That's what it's all about. Being generous has an eternal impact. And while that just sounds like fluff or white noise, let me just share with you this. Luke chapter 16, verse 9 says, here's the lesson. Yours ought to perk up. If God's saying, let me, just, let me just sum it up for you guys. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. He's not saying go out and buy your friends. What he's saying is use your resources to the benefit of others and make it enjoyable for people to want to be around you, right? Then when your possessions are gone, when you die, they will welcome you into eternal home. So think about that. Use your possessions right now to go build bridges of friendship so those people that you make friends with will come to know Christ. So that when your possessions are gone, meaning when you die and you enter into heaven, there's going to be some friends waiting for you that say, thank you very much for making that investment. So I am here in heaven. So very clearly, we are instructed to use our money and possessions here on earth to benefit others and make friendships that lead people to Christ. And when we enter heaven, they'll be waiting for us. You may never know this side of heaven the impact of your generosity. But I promise you, you'll know when you get to heaven. I want to close with the theme scripture for this series. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 18 through 19. It says, tell them to use their money to do good. So I'm telling you right now, use your money to do good. Okay, God. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Storing up treasure means investing in things that get people to heaven. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Take some of your money, build bridges, get people to know Christ, and they'll be going to heaven with you. Now I want to close with this. I want to ask you a question. I want to, I'll just be straight up with you. If you feel like I've been poking you in the chest, it's because I have. I wouldn't be a friend to you if I didn't do that, right? Because this is something that everybody has the ability to do. Remember, generosity has no minimum. It doesn't take a lot of money to be generous. And it can be fun. But you got to get your heart right first. I want to ask you this question. It's coming from me. I want you to know that Pastor Steve and Pastor Brad, no one asked me to do this. But I love this church, and I love God. And because of that, God's brought you here. And I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to get to know you and to love you and to speak some truth into your life. But what I care about most today is ask you this question. Will anybody be in heaven because of the way you used your money? Can you inventory your budget in your mind right now and answer that question, yes or no. Will anybody be in heaven because of the way you used your money? Anybody? That can be a very tough question to ask. It could stress you out a couple of ways. It could say, you know what? I don't even know if I'm going to heaven. Great. There's going to be some people down here that you could pray with. 
And I'd love nothing more than know that you accepted Christ because you heard about generosity. It might be stressful because you're thinking, you know what, I've never taken my finance and spiritual life seriously. Well, that's good because the Bible also says that God gives us new mercies every morning. He's not judging you for what you haven't done, but he's encouraging you today to start doing something. And today is your new mercy. The third good news about all this is Creekwood Church is offering us, and I mean us, a great opportunity next week to be able to answer yes to that question. And that's by giving to the Generosity Project. So what I'm asking you to do is when you think about that question, is anybody going to be in heaven because of the way I use my money? After next week, you should be able to say yes because you give the Generosity Project. So this week, I just want to ask you to think about that, pray about it, but also make it a family affair. Get your whole family involved in that decision. I promise you won't regret it. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you right now, God, because even though you own everything, even more than nachos, you've given us so much, God. I thank you for putting in the hearts of people to build organizations, to go and be the hands and feet to help people such as Mercy House God in Kenya doing such an awesome work to change people's lives. But yet give us the opportunity to be a part of that through our giving, God. I pray today, Father, that through your Holy Spirit, you speak to every individual here because generosity is something for everybody. God, you you want to include everybody in the goodness of giving. And I pray, God, that as your word says, that you transform us by the renewing of our minds. You help us, God, to be countercultural, to look at what we have and then decide about what to give based on how we want to honor you. In your name we pray. Thank you for listening. For more messages and information about Creekwood Church, visit us at creekwoodchurch.com.